Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Caged Vision podcast with Carrie Rome and David Chislett. David, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Carrie, and yourself. I am doing well. Nighttime where you are, you're in Amsterdam, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, winter, so it's dark. (laughs) Is it cold? Freezing. Tonight, getting down to zero, I think. Yeah, well, it's cold here. It's cold here, and I'm you know, in in summertime, I, I can't wait for a little bit of cold weather, but not not too much cold weather, I start to say. Yeah, you know, I can't wait for the warm weather again, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, thanks for staying up late. The reason I wanted to chat with you and the reason I thought you'd be a great guest for the Caged Vision podcast is because your specialty, your gift is igniting the creative is yeah. is drawing out the creativity in teams and in companies and i think i think that is so important as it relates to uh people that are looking to unlock their cage vision in fact when you and i first spoke we said you said well i'm not sure if this is a fit and i said no 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 this is perfect <laughs> right yeah all right so so uh, as we get started um do me a favor and entertain me. Give me a, if you're going to take a family trip, if you're going to take a trip and you're going to make the playlist for everyone in the car, tell me what's going to be on the playlist. That's going to keep everyone in the car happy. Well, I mean, given that, (laughs) given, let's make some assumptions. It's your car. And so in large part, you get to call the shots, but you do want to entertain everyone and not have them just, you know all right cool <laughs> well I've, I've actually got a playlist on spotify called dave's happy place <laughs> well there you go yeah and and that pretty much includes the kind of tunes that you know put me in a good mood so if we're in a, in a car on a road trip I'd, I'd probably put that on and that includes um wow quite a wide range of things going from sort of um early 80s post-punk stuff like there's some joy division in there no not joy division new order so also not too heavy okay a little bit a little bit poppy a little bit up tempo uh i've also got things like some crowded house and then moving through to 90s um wow yeah uh oh yeah of course i've got faith no more but also not the heavy stuff their their version of easy so that's always a good sing-along in a car well Uh, it sounds like we need to take a road trip (laughs) <laughs> As this would be a fun road trip. I mean, it, I think it's you probably have on your list songs that I love, but just don't have necessarily in a playlist, which makes a great playlist. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, possibly. I mean, what I do is, you know, when the Spotify weekly comes through and I, I hear stuff, and I go, oh, man, I love that song. I haven't heard that in ages. And if it brings a smile to my face, then I, I put it onto the happy place list. Oh, I really like that. I like that. If it brings a smile to your face and you know it, you know those songs and you say, boom, yeah. I'm going to save that one. Okay. So you're, you're, you live and breathe and talk and teach and train creativity, but it, it wasn't always that way. Take me to the way back machine and, and give me a little, little, um, a little bit into your background, but mainly take me to the point when you started to say, I've got a vision for something and this this vision is and it may not have been directly um to what you're doing now but what was the first nugget that you started to build on all right so 
yeah, I think that would take us back to approximately 12, 11, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd worked for a long time as a freelance journalist, um, entertainment side of things, not hard news. And from there, I'd segued into running, uh, starting up my own PR company, specializing in the entertainment industry. And I was very much looking to get out of that. And I was trying to analyze what to do next. And I had lunch with an old friend of mine, a guy by the name of Dr. Graham Codrington, who's an incredibly successful keynote speaker and author. He's a futurist. He's very much interested in what the future of work will look like. And we got talking about this idea of, of, of speaking as a vehicle for so many different things. Mm. And, 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 you know, he and I were a, t- a team on our high school debating debate team. Yeah. He was the he was the summator and I was the second speaker. And um so I was also thinking, well, you know, if this dude can make a living out of being a public speaker, so can I. And uh, he was like, Yeah, you know, the speaking part actually isn't the challenge if you want to get onto the speaking circuit. The content is. Hmm. So what on earth are you gonna talk about? And that was the moment where I went, ah, you know, I've spent all this time working in the creative industries, in entertainment. And already then, 12 years ago, this, this subtle shift you could start, it was already happening that mm. this idea of working in silos and, and, and rigid old school corporate structures were possibly not a great idea for uh, moving ahead into the future. And I came up with this idea for a keynote presentation called The New Business of Creativity. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So it, yeah. Started, it started with, uh, with the idea of some content yeah. Um, and, and, and really, I think you, you just, you just said it really well And that you did, did you see that, that maybe process had gone too far, that everything was so rigid that yeah. we lost a little creativity. Were you seeing that? Yeah, absolutely. I think somewhere around that time, I saw that, which you've probably seen as well, that Ken Robinson, uh, oh, video yeah. criticizing yeah, education. You know? Yeah. And so I had to think, yeah, because I've always been a bit of a square pig in a round hole, always just completely not, yeah, done what I'm supposed to and kind of made it up as I went along. And it occurred to me that one of the reasons I was able to do that was because I had this inherent flexibility and, and you know, was able to just make things up on the fly. Mm. And I could see that amongst my peers who had done MBAs and worked in big corporations, just lost all of that, even if they'd had it um, by the time we graduated from high school. Now, when you say make things up on the fly, do you, are you taking, uh, or is it within context of all the information that you're receiving? So you're, you've got these, and I've described in the past as sort of these, um, these different um, nodes that are, that are floating around like bits and particles of information. And then somehow you've, the creative side of you assembles those and make something of them? Yeah. You know, at, at its most simplistic, I suppose, you can describe creativity literally as a process of joining the dots or connecting the nodes. Mm. And that is something that I've considered to be a personal strength of mine for a very long time. Um, you know, put me in a situation, throw a bunch of information at me. And yeah, I'm, I, I am able to figure something out from that uh, mm. and put a, put a new configuration together. And I was also discovering that my status as a kind of bit of an outsider or whatever you want to call it also gave me a perspective that made those constructions also very different to what people from within those structures were able to do. Mm. Okay. 
Okay. Which in itself was valuable because it was just so different. Okay. So now you're at a point where you start to explore content, which I'm assuming um, you're putting your toe in the water to say, is this any good? Do people like what I'm saying? Yeah. What, um, what was that initial feedback? Number one, part, part one of the question, what was the initial feedback? And then how did you, how did you twist and how did you pivot to keep yourself, um, confident enough that it was the right path for you? Yeah. The initial feedback was, wow, that's really interesting. Hmm, cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Definitely important. Uh, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so clearly the packaging, the presentation of what I was putting across wasn't, um, wasn't landing in, in quite the right way. Conversion was just non-existent. Mm. So what I actually did next was I made it incredibly concrete and I developed a two-handed uh, kind of interactive presentation, not really a keynote, uh, that I ended up calling Unleash Your Inner Rockstar, mm. which, which featured a thing called the Rockstar Rules, which are five things that rock and roll stars do that is that are extremely important to their success that many outsiders probably just wouldn't guess at. And that was just this crazy two-hander with me, an incredibly skilled musician. And he would demonstrate each of the rules by doing something on his guitar to sort of yeah. e- extrapolate how that how that would sound musically. And um, and I would do the talking. And we, uh. you know, we'd dress up as Elvis or as Bob Marley or whatever, <laughs> depending on the yeah. thing. And and, and we, we sold that, you know, we, we, we got quite a few gigs doing that thing. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it was, and again, this was probably now 11 years ago, maybe 10. It was just a little bit too out there for, mm. for, the, for the corporate market at large. Mm. They were just like, wow, man, you guys are clearly authentic. And that's just scary as hell. <laughs> <laughs> but what I want everyone to take away is you took one step for, for you didn't stop. No, when you did, when you, when you didn't get that first reaction, what you did is you made things more concrete, which I think if you're dealing in a business to business environment, you, that is a must. It has to be yeah. uh, the, the takeaways. If, if someone was to spend time, money and effort to, um, to have you come train on creativity, what is the take? What is, what are they going to get? And so that has to be clear. And so you, it sounds like you, you, got that part right and then and then you started working on delivery um so it wasn't quite a success right out of the gate the first or second time when did you know that it was time to say okay i think i've got a doubt in well i'm i'm still not sure i have to be fair um because also the whole environment is changing so fast so what i've now moved on to is a more hybrid offering, which is not just keynote speeches, but rather workshops, uh, team build sessions. So I've diversified the structures of these things, but I've also really simplified it down into um, talking about the weapons of mass creation, which is about five specific thinking tools to help people become more creative. Mm. Then I've also drilled down another part of it into help a robot store my job, which Mm. is about harnessing how to harness creativity and creative communities in order to uh, maximize the intellectual capacity of your people to do the things that AI can't Mm. and and possibly might never be able to do. Um, And then the last one is also the the business value creator, 
which is really about saying to people, okay, this is how to use creativity to add value through your value chain in your business. And of those three, which one gets the most immediate first reaction? And then which one has the longer sort of um, uh, the takeaway? If yeah. You will? Well, uh, of course, you know, you just take one look through the headlines and the, <laughs> the help a robot stole my job one gets, gets the media traction. That would have been my guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's panicking about the fact that, yeah, we're all going to end up unemployed and drunk because there'll be nothing for us to do. Um, <laughs> but the, 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 the long burn is definitely the business value creator. Yeah. Uh, because it, talk, it talks about culture, it talks about structures, it, it talks about the whole value chain and yeah. it analyzes each step of your chain and encourages people to use the tools in order to, you know, even on a micro step-by-step -step level to, to improve and therefore to add value. Yeah, so you mentioned culture and I'm glad you did. At what point or how do you see the creativity, how does that fit into culture? Or and if it's not part of a, a culture now, what's a recommendation for how to start to, to incorporate it? Right. Well, one of the some of the fundamental principles of creative thinking are that you need to not think too hard, and that you need to be slightly happy, you need to be slightly inward looking, uh, and you you can't be too busy. You can't have too many um, neurons firing in your brain at the same time. And if you think about that as a description of a state of mind, that's the absolute antithesis of your average day at work. Mm. So it implies a different way of managing people. It means you have to create spaces and environments and opportunities where people can essentially be sitting around looking like they're navel gazing, which is what they are. Yeah. And it also means that you have to suspend judgment. In other words, you can't be thinking, is this going to work? Is this good? Is this bad? Because you need to let it play mm. uh, until the game is over. And, and once again, when you look at K KPIs and KPAs and, and a lot of you know, general management techniques, they, they're a little bit too controlling a lot of the time to allow the kind of free reign and run that the creative process requires. Hmm. So in, in an effort to <laughs> control, we've over-engineered uh, the, the solution or the outcome that we want and, and more specifically how we're going to measure it. And when we do that, it sort of cripples the, the creativity. Yeah, it kills the goose that lays the golden egg. Mm. So I, have you seen the, um, the Netflix episode on Bill Gates, Bill, Bill's, inside Bill, Bill's brain or something like that? No, it's sitting on my list. I haven't got to it yet. <laughs> okay, so he does what you just described. And for any business leader that is, we started listening to the podcast and was thinking, I, I, that's not for my business, it's for someone else's. Bill Gates takes a week each, each year, one week, and um, he goes to a remote area, he brings these books, and, he, and, and all he does is he frees judgment and he thinks about the future of work and then he, he, he studies things, he reads things to help him think about, okay, if, if this is where I think it's going, this is, the, this is all the literature that I can find on where we've been, 
what's my prediction? And he just spends time thinking and yeah. creating. Yeah. You know, because as soon as you, as soon as you go into yes, no, right, wrong mode, you're shutting down the train of thought. Mm. So the first expression, maybe it is weak, maybe it's not great. But if you, if you let it stew, if you put it into the back of your mind, you sleep on it, for example, chances are the next day you'll have a better iteration and you'll work it through. Mm. But you've got, you've got to not judge it in the first appearances. You've got to let that happen. Okay. So when, you, when you're working with teams, I would imagine that may be one of the hardest things is when you're in a group setting, is it, is it that most people are afraid of being judged and then others are judging too quickly? Is that one of the biggest hurdles you have to overcome? Well, yeah, because most of them are in a position where they are being judged all the time. And as a result, they judge everyone around them as well, mm. uh, including themselves. Um, so it's quite hard to get people to the stage where they are prepared to step into the kind of ambiguity and complexity where really interesting stuff happens. Hmm. You know, you've, you've got to let go of what you know before you can discover what you don't know. Hmm. If you're always focused on what you already know. You're not leaving any room for discovery. I love that quote. I love that quote. You got to let go of what you know to discover what you don't know. Yeah. That's really good. So do you find that setting has a lot to do with getting the team and the right mindset to, to go through this sort of exercise. Yeah. And, and I mean, from a workshop perspective, the environment is massively important and that mirrors neatly back into the actual work environment. You know, it, mm. it needs to be stimulating and can't yeah. be great and boring. Yeah. You've got to have the right people in the room. Um, and you've also, it's got to be a safe space. Like you've got to have an agreement in place up front that it's totally okay to say absolutely ludicrous stuff. Yeah. And no one's going to judge you or, or throw you out the room or, or fire you because every now and then in the middle of that ludicrousness is something fantastic. So one fantastic the, that it's worth it. Yes. One of the things I like to do is I tell people that you can't say um, no or can't, but you can say what would have to be true what would have to happen in order for that to be true? Yeah, right. And so what, when, when someone throws out an idea, you can't say, Oh, that can't be done. That can't be what they can say is, wow, that sounds like it could be a challenge. Let's think through what would have to be true in order for that to be a reality. Yeah. That's and that's, great. it's a nice, and I've got a, I've got a client that loves that phrase and his team is completely caught. They're on board now. And they say that what would have to be true. And now, you've sparked a new level of creativity because everyone's thinking about not what, 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 why it can't happen, but what would have to be true. Yeah. And, and that's a positive frame of mind and creativity is by definition positive Yeah, because you, you have a couple of things lying around and then you join them together in a new way. And that creates a new thing, literally something that didn't exist before. So your graph of things goes up. It's positive. Mm. And you actually have to be in a positive frame of mind to do it. I like it. Okay. So you've had an exciting 10 years. It sounds like things have progressed in a really, really cool way and you're getting some traction. What about the next 10 years for you? Yeah. I mean, that's where it gets really interesting. I think the, the, the thing I've realized is that it's no good activating individuals. It's, 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 it's fun activating teams, but really what, what needs to happen is that the way we think about 
doing things on a grand level needs to change. You know, so much of what goes on in work at the moment is essentially modeled on Henry Ford's assembly line. Mm. You know, how to take a whole bunch of, you know, pre-technological people and get them to do highly technological skills. Well, you break it down into its component parts and you say, don't you dare step out of the lines. And, and, and essentially what Henry Ford was trying to do was to make robots out of meat, out of humans. Right. But our technology is now caught up that the robots are far better at that kind of stuff than we are. Sure. So what that means is that we should rather be doing the stuff that the robots can't. Right. And that for me is the next step. That's what I'm interested in doing is how do we affect that culture change, that way of different way of thinking? How do we get businesses to accept that they can't say, yeah, automate, but then what are you going to do with the people? What value are they going to bring? And it can be immense, but you've got to trust them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And imagine, I mean, think, I'm, I'm just thinking through when you're saying that when you eliminate some of the work that's just, um, you know, it should be automated. Yeah. And what are you doing with that capacity and what are you doing to develop that individual so that you can take their experience and really elevate their work? And, and it's a creative exercise where you do that, but it can't do it in a silo. You have to break the silos. Absolutely. Yeah. You've got to go through the chain. Yeah. So very cool. So how do people get in touch with you? Where do they find you? They can find me on my uh, digital home. It's just davidchislett.com. And of course, there's a contact page on there. So you can, uh, you can have a look at through my archive of articles and, and drop me a line. Or if you're more of a LinkedIn type, of course, you can find me on there as well. Very good. So you do, uh, you do live events, I'm assuming, and live training. And do you do it all over the, the world? Or wh where, where do you travel? Or do you do some remote? I do some remote, but I also travel. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been spending a bit of time. I was in uh, Lithuania earlier this year, as well as in Austria. And, uh, yeah, totally up for traveling. But a lot of this stuff, you know, because it in involves behavior change, it's totally doable uh, remotely. Yeah. Like we're yeah. doing this. Like we're yeah. doing this. So very cool. Okay, last question. If you could give your 20-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, practice more. Practice more. Yeah, yeah t t t tell me about that. What? Well, because I've been playing guitar since I was uh, 17 years old. I'm now 49, which means I've been playing guitar for a lot of time, mm. which you would assume means that I'm, you know, Jimi Hendrix's younger brother. <laughs> uh, except that I'm not. Yeah. You know, because actually... I was in a punk rock band that was kind of cool not to know what you were doing. And, and I never really put into the effort. And if I look back now with what I know now that, you know, if I just put in half an hour every single day, mm. there's so much technique that I wouldn't have to think about it anymore mm. so that I would be free to think about joining the dots, i.e. Mm. making new music in interesting ways and acquiring new talents and, uh, or, or new modes. And would you call that practice deliberate practice? Yeah, as in focused on improving, absolutely. Right. If, uh, by that, um, for the listeners, decide that you're gonna you're gonna practice on one specific thing, not just not just play. Which it sounds like when yeah. you practice before you played, you didn't work on one specific mm -hmm. technique, master it, and then go to the next. Absolutely, technique. What was that? <laughs> yeah, that was it. It was, it was totally all about like 
being able to play the songs and get on stage oh, yeah. Um, yeah. In, in, instead of like what is actually going on here and, and how do I get better at that and what does that then mean I can do next and, and that kind of stuff yeah well you know I mean I think for a 20 year old there's not many 20 year olds that are telling themselves I need to be more deliberate in my practice to be a better professional when I'm 49 no <laughs> no that is true but, but what's interesting about it in, in, in in the context of today is that it's kind of like machine learning you know if, if you spend enough time on the fretboard you can automate the technical aspect mm. of playing which yeah. means like we, we were just discussing you free up the intellectual capital to do the really interesting stuff mm. Mm. so very why. cool yeah hey david this was a lot of fun thank you for being on the show each week we, our goal is just simply to provide encouragement and build confidence in those people that have a vision it just seems to be a little caged you deliver today, and I hope they get, that they connect with you on LinkedIn, go to your website, your digital home, as you call it, get some tips from you, and I think, uh, I think it'd be really, really cool. Thanks for being a guest. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Catch soon, okay? All right, ciao.